Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. There was a girl who called my house um, and asked for me. How, how old are you? Are you like I'm 11? 11, 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I was stoked, man. Like some girl. So I actually met up with her and went on a date. <laughs> Now, if you were to travel back in time to when I was in seventh grade and visit me in my bedroom at Topanga Canyon and tell me that one day I'd be chatting it up with teen heartthrob Ryder Strong, I'd say, who the hell are you? Get out of my bedroom, you pervert. I'm trying to finish my history paper for Mr. Hamanishi's class. But you would be right because we are kicking off season four strong. Ryder Strong, baby. Now, if you're new here, welcome. Here's the gist. This is a podcast where I bring on fascinating people I'm loosely acquainted with and listen to them share an intimate story from their life. It's kind of like perpetually being on a first date that always goes really well but never leads to a second date. Or sex. I'm your host, Will Tigerbeat McFadden. Also, I every episode I give myself a new middle name that's relevant to the guest or the topic of the episode. It's a bit I'm I've been doing it for four seasons now. You you'll just you'll get used to it. Now, you probably know today's guest from his popular podcast, Pod Meets World, or the show that the podcast is based on, Boy Meets World. It'd be weird if you listened to Pod Meets World and didn't watch Boy Meets World. You're doing it wrong. But you most likely know Ryder Strong as a child star. What many of you don't know is that I was also a child star, just a far less successful one. 
I'm sure some of you have seen the 1992 straight-to-home video romantic comedy Only You, starring Helen Hunt, Andrew McCarthy, and Kelly Preston. Yeah, I was the kid who got the wedgie at the Target at the end of the film. I still remember my line was, Whoa, Mom, Larry gave me a wedgie. Scene. Now, even though our careers took very different trajectories, we both ended up here on the amazing podcast you're about to listen to. This is Hashtag Storytime, brought to you by iHeartRadio. 1989, when I was starting out as an actor, as a kid, Mm -hmm. I was nine years old, eight, nine years old. And I'd started doing plays when I was like six or seven. And for some reason, and I don't know if this is still true, like for kid actors now, especially kid boy actors now, but it was certainly true then. I was, I was always an urchin. I was always like, uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, an orphan or an urchin. I was always wearing like those page boy hats. Yeah. You know, and like those like little- lots of the stage dirt smudged on your face. Yeah. Oh, the stage dirt just caking me. It's for everything. Like all, every audition I had, I was like, I was up for the movie Newsies at one point, you know, and I was always like dancing and singing and being a street urchin. <laughs> urchin um, number two? Exactly. And which it's just such a weird thing. Like I've thought about this with hobos too. Like why are hobos cool? Right. Like it's kind of like a a crappy lifestyle. It's mostly desperation, but it's, you know, there's like this romanticized version of of poverty and of homelessness and being a street urchin is one of them. There's a certain freedom that hobos had. I feel like that that we don't, we don't romanticize with, with current unhoused people, you know, the hobo lifestyle. I think of like, Oh, hopping on trains and like stealing pies from windowsills and and like camping out in a lean to having to work. Right, exactly. Just living on the edge of the forest in a yeah, nice little Yeah, but you know, there's there's definitely probably some alcoholism and yeah, desperation yeah. and yeah. a lot of hungry nights and people freezing to death on those trains. So, right. sure. Yeah, um, and definitely like yeah. some, some children that they are not taking care of somewhere. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, my first real big job, my first big acting gig was Les Miserables. Oh, I got yeah. cast as Gavroche. And the, pup, the pup's all grown up. Yes. Exactly. So this was my, this was my big break as, you know, as a kid. Um, And it's still to this day, probably the most fun job I've ever had. Um, My first, my first job and the most fun. Um, All all downhill. What it meant. Yeah. After that, it was just, you know, (laughs) but uh, so it was, I was, I grew up in the woods. I grew up outside of Sebastopol, California in Sonoma County out in the Redwoods. And okay. uh, my parents built the house I grew up in. They were very back to nature mm-hmm. So this job, which I got by, by driving into San Francisco and just auditioning the cattle call audition with all these other kids. Mm-hmm. And I got it. What meant that I was having to go into San Francisco six days a week mm-hmm. to be in this play, which was a big deal. Like my, you know, in retrospect, especially for my parents, my my mom had to drive me an hour and a half every day to <laughs> deliver me to do this play. And we were doing eight performances a week. And uh, I alternated with another boy. We both, you know, we had, they had double casted. So there's two Gavroches. And then there were mm-hmm. the two girls who played young Eponine and young Cosette. And they yeah. also alternated roles. One of them was Larissa Olenek, who I've since worked with a bunch. She's gone on to be a, a fabulous actress and still no works to this day. She was in 10 Things I Hate About You. And um, she's, yeah, she's, she was on the show called Alex Mack, The Secret World of Alex Mack yeah. on Nickelodeon. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I remember it. So this is both of our first gig. So what was happening is my mom would drive me down and drop me off at the theater. 
I would get a ride back because it turned out there was a costumer who lived kind of near us too. So I would get, you know, we, we'd figure out a, a, a driving situation. But for us kids, we would be there at the theater in San Francisco and we would, on days where we'd have matinees or during rehearsals, which rehearsals were four weeks long. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, days where we would have matinees, we would have lunch breaks and we would have a teacher, a studio teacher that was paid to be there, like a welfare worker. Right. And then usually there would be one of the parents of the kids would take us to lunch. So one of our parents would show up and take us out. But so the theater, the current theater in San Francisco is in on Geary Street, okay, which is right by the Tenderloin, which mm-hmm. is not the greatest neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. And this is in the 80s, you know, it, when... Reagan, wonderful Reagan policies and had uh, emptied out the California hospitals. And there was a huge homeless population, an unhoused population, you would say now. And we got to know our neighborhood. This is how we would spend our time running around outside of the theater. (laughs) And it was this weird thing where we got to know everybody on our street. We got to know, you know, all the panhandlers, all Mm -hmm. the people who built their little (laughs) box houses. And at our age, you know, we just thought that they were just people like we, and if anything, they were kind of our friends, like, because they knew us that we would be going out and we'd walk onto Geary Street every day. Were you lunch, in, and, and they were, were you there. in costume during this with your smudges? No, but <laughs> they would leave dirt makeup on our face because if we did a matinee and we had to do a show that night, they didn't want to have to, you know, we didn't have to redo. So we would just be these dirty kids in like <laughs> '80s denim jackets, uh, and like I, you know, I would wear like a Les Mis shirt, but. But yeah, like it, it was this. It, you know, we just got to know the neighborhood, and it, we were very unaware that you know these people lived a life very different than us. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. to a certain degree, there was this cluelessness that was kind of beautiful in some ways, maybe, yeah. but certainly clueless. Right. And I remember our parents sort of like you know tugging our arms and telling us to keep going and let's go get food and go back to the theater and trying to like keep us you know sheltered. But we loved it, and of yeah. course. The were, irony were, here was were that any of you guys like this is my meth like I method and I'm th- like <laughs> no like, but, but that's when I think about it now study. it's so funny that it, the, I don't think it ever occurred to me but every night as Gavroche especially the opening scene of Gavroche is him running around in the street yeah. with all these homeless people like beggars and yeah. he's saying like think you're poor think you're free follow me he's like the leader of these street urchin kids and yeah. they had like there were there were two women in the cast who would pretend to be street urchins and dress and they were like Gavroche's gang yeah. and every Every day was the best. This is why the job was so fun is that they didn't care what I did on stage. So every night was different. We, yeah. we, you know, when we weren't singing and we weren't hitting our marks, we were just running around the stage and we'd be like, pretend, you know, I'd be acting because I, it was like make believe. So every yeah. night we are make believing being street urchins. <laughs> and then in reality, walking out to Geary street in San Francisco and like hanging out with the street people. <laughs> this was, so it was like, there was no, there was no line between reality and the, and the show. Um, yeah. And, you know, we were just kids, so we didn't think about it. Yeah. Anyway, this one night, I, I had been raised a vegetarian. So mm-hmm. one of the opportunities that being in San Francisco and doing a play uh, offered me was that I could go eat meat <laughs> on our lunch breaks. And my parents weren't around and they weren't serving the food. So across the street was Jack in the Box. And this oh was my, my favorite place to go. I was obsessed. So whenever we were like, where are we going to go for dinner, you know, kids or whatever, I was always like, we're going to Jack in the Box. Because I would Spicy get chicken. bacon, sourdough, whatever, like just meat on meat on yeah. meat. Because I was like, ha, <laughs> I'm not home. And so we, it was just the, the 
like just when I think about this now, I mean, I don't think I've had Jack in the Box since. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big fast food guy, but it was just uh, just the greasiest, dirtiest Jack in the Box you've ever seen. Yeah, you're on vacation. Yeah, exactly. So we we were in there one time and we had a a female uh, social worker watching us that day Mm -hmm. and I was like a babysitter or something. And I said, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. So I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom by myself at nine years old and I'm in the stall and um, I hear like this crashing noise and I look down and I can see the bottom of a wheelchair Mm-hmm. Um, in the stall next to me. And I hear like this banging and the smashing. And I'm like, what is going on? What, you know, mm-hmm. my heart's racing. And this guy is in a wheelchair and starts screaming. And I, my, I'm like terrified. Yeah. And he, he comes up to the stall and sticks his eye through the stall, staring at me <laughs> and is having a mental breakdown. Like this is, a, you know, a man in crisis. Yeah. But all I think at nine years old is that somebody is going to attack me. Somebody is going to yell at me yeah, just and petrified. he's screaming at me and basically like, you know, what's up with you? What about you motherfucker? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, uh, uh, you know, sh- shitting my pants, but luckily I'm on the toilet. So it's okay. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, you know, it was, you know, a genuinely, I didn't. And luckily the, I had the door closed and, yeah. you know, but I had gone from this moment of like sympathy for somebody having an issue with their wheelchair to yeah. now like, oh my God, I'm being screamed at by an angry person. And anyway, it was a Wait, quick question. Were you in the handicap stall? No, okay. no, no, he was in the handicap. I don't even know if there was a handicap stall. I don't know if that, those regulate, but he was in the stall next to me. So he's screaming at me. Clearly just having a breakdown, you know, in retrospect, I can say like this was a person on drugs or just yeah. having, you know, a schizophrenic break or whatever. Yeah. But at the time I thought it was about me. I thought this person was going to attack me and kill me. So of course, like after he leaves and I'm bawling and I run outside and I go to the, the other kids and we, he's not nowhere to be seen. He's like left the jack in the box. So now he's out. And like, yeah. I begin to have nightmares Oh no! every night. And I not only have these personal nightmares about the wheelchair, man, that expands into this like mythological, you know, I start drawing pictures. I start writing stories. I start sharing this with all the other kids, the other, the other kids. So they're terrified now of the wheelchair, man. And he becomes like this boogeyman. And I, I'm not able to sleep at night. I'm terrified now of walking the streets of San Francisco, which we have to do as part of, you know, we're, we're there. We're going yeah. to. And we begin to see him every once in a while because he's oh. in the area. Right. And what used to be this sort of like safe playground for us suddenly has this like horrifying dark boogeyman feeling um i remember ian the other kid who played the other gavroche we at one point we were getting dropped off for work and our, you know we were late so our, our one of our moms dropped us off and then we had to like go, run the you know 10 feet to the theater and mm-hmm. all the people are coming in to get into the theater to come see the play and we get we get separated in the crowd and then it's like you know the 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 people part and there he is. I can oh. see the wheelchair man. And at this point he has like this otherworldly quality to me. I mean, I'm, I literally see a monster, you know, yeah. it's like I, in my mind, I can see his face and it's like, it's inhuman, you know, it's like a Michael Myers mask. This guy right. is like in this moment and I can't, and I, and I can't talk. And I instantly start screaming to Ian who's made it to the theater ahead of me and I can't see him. And now I'm alone on the streets and it was just this like horrific period where I went from being like this happy-go-lucky kid to like 
genuinely terrified of a person on the streets uh, that I had previously felt very comfortable at. I think the pup grew up in that moment. The pup grew up. Right, (laughs) right. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. After several months of creating the mythology of the wheelchair man and scaring the crap out of my fellow co my fellow kid actors, <laughs> scaring the crap out of myself, we we had this one babysitter for Lar- Larissa Olanik's babysitter actually. So in in retrospect, she could have only been like twenty five or twenty six at mm-hmm. most. She hears us talking about the wheelchair man. She hears you know this sort of story happening, right? And I, I, I don't know who this woman was. I should actually ask Larissa if she's because she was so wonderful. She took me and the other kids and said, let's go find him. Oh. And we were like, no, oh. no. And she took us out of the theater mm-hmm. and walked us on around the streets, you know, and, and we saw the normal all the normal unhoused people that we had seen and yeah. we knew. Uh, and she was like saying hi to everybody, but she's like asking around until we found the wheelchair man. And she gave us money mm-hmm. and said, go, go give him money. And I couldn't, I was paralyzed. I was absolutely yeah. paralyzed. But she went up to him and talked to him and gave him money. And I watched and 
of course, in this moment, you know, confronting this this boogeyman, I became suddenly very aware that he was sick. Yeah. He was disabled, couldn't walk, and he was a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. And my dad had fought in Vietnam, and I was very aware of, you know, my dad actually, you know, came back from Vietnam, was very anti-war. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was just, a, I was just very, that suddenly this person flipped. It's like they yeah, went he was full circle. humanized again. He, he yeah, saw his completely. humanity. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I could see that there was a story, there was a sadness, and this babysitter basically completely broke this mythology that I had been building for months. And I realized that in some ways I had kind of wanted to be scared of him. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. made it easier. Yeah. It was something kind of fun, but it was obviously dehumanizing. And yeah. and I, I guess I think about this cycle of that period of romanticizing homelessness, mm-hmm. thinking it's like fun and games and not that big of a deal to then vilifying it mm-hmm. to a degree that was debilitating for me, but also, you know, sort of fun and exciting to then having to acknowledge this person's entire humanity and that that there was something that, you know, connected somebody like that to my father, you know? And I feel like we still go through these cycles, you know, even though I was a a nine-year-old kid actor, I feel like the public conversation is kind of still doing the same thing. It's like, we're always falling on one side of this spectrum. You often hear people over-romanticizing the unhoused situation. And then, you you know, as, as like we were saying, freedom or like dropping out or just... And then you, the gutter punk tradition, for instance, mm-hmm. <laughs> now is like the current version of the hobo situation, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have like the sort of vilification, of course, is going on constantly. And then I just think about that, that the course of that several months in my life and how I actually can think of Geary Street. I, I mean, it's such an indelible part of my brain, this 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 one block or the several blocks of the street. Yeah. Um, and like when I still, when I go there now, it's so funny to see like, it's just a street. You know, it's just like, <laughs> just another city street. But for me, it was the entire world and yeah. how it could change in a moment. You know, it could be this like playground, then it can be this haunted house and then it can just be the street, you know? Yeah. It yeah. sounds, you know, at, at such a young age, you had you know, you went through those kind of three phases that you were talking about yeah. of like of it being romanticized and then being villainized. But yeah. then you made it to the third stage of yeah. being humanized. And I feel like, yeah. especially in the current conversation, even most adults haven't made it to that third stage of no, seeing unhoused people as it's, humans. It's you know, hard. they're still in villain villain mode. Yeah. Know? But and it's hard because I think we all can have moments where we do all three versions, right? Because to take somebody on as a human requires work. It requires actually talking to them or, you know, getting to know them or, you know, and instead it's so much easier to sort of just flip a switch and be like, oh, you know, that person's choosing to be homeless. They're a drug addict. They're whatever. Or that person is a monster I need to stay away from or, you know, whatever it is to not see them as human beings, you know? And I, and I, I still find myself falling into that habit, you know? Um, And I think it's something that we all, need to kind of remember and and work on. And then certainly in the level of policy, it's like to not oversimplify in in either direction. Um, But yeah. You were also kind of accosted at maybe your most vulnerable moment. That's when you're on the toilet. (laughs) Right. Is you're in an incredibly vulnerable state. This is why dogs, when they're taking a shit, they look at you in the eye because they're like, (laughs) watch watch my back. You know, that's the... (laughs) 
Yeah. So yeah. at that moment yeah. for you to then be accosted, I can imagine that the trauma being so oh, it was deep. real. <laughs> so <Yeah>. real. <laughs> also, I mean, the little gap between the stall doors, just to see an eye pop into that, that is oh, like- Oh my God. That is yeah, horror It's a full movie. horror film. <laughs> yes. In that I mean, I've seen that done second. in horror films. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's the worst. I'm going to definitely put it into something I write for the rest of, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll end up in one of my movies someday. Yeah, I'm sure. Guillermo Some del Toro's of Cabinet eye. of Curiosity. The exactly. next episode is just going to be called The, the Bathroom Stall. The, 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 eye wheelchair the, man. the wheelchair man and the eye in the stall. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you could sum it all up as to what what the uh, what the takeaway, the main takeaway, the main moral of that story, what would you what would you say? Yeah, I mean, just d- about humanizing, you know, to to not let your fear drive you, right? Like, <laughs> even if you have a scary experience with a, a person, you know, to not put somebody, another human being, into just an, a, a monster category, but then also not to like over romanticize and be like, oh, they're perfectly fine, because a lot yeah. of times they're they're not like people have their own stuff. They have mental breakdowns. They have, you know, issues. And like, obviously if he had actually attacked a nine year old (laughs) in a bathroom, that would be criminal. Right. So, um, that would be bad. Um, and like, he should not have been yelling at a nine year old in the bathroom. So there is a, there is something to be recognized of truly not good behavior. Right. And I guess for me, like, thinking about this moment in my life, like I've had to revise it over and over again. And I still Mm -hmm. think about it. Right. And I'm, and I think that I think revising the meaning of the story in a way is kind of the best way to approach it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, is to not settle into one easy interpretation of like, this person was a bad person or this person was a victim only or whatever, but instead to see the complexity of all that, that, that the wheelchair man was all of those things. Yeah. And that, you know, it would be it, even, even for me to over romanticize like his veteran status, you know, and to say like, Oh, because you know, that, that ex- excuses yelling at a nine-year-old, like not really like, no, no. like Still he probably bad. needed help and probably yeah. needed help. Very serious, you know? And so I guess that's why this, it, you know, I don't really know how to feel about the story other than tell it <laughs> because yeah. I think that, you know, I don't want to settle easily into one category, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that like when you hear people talking about homeless populations, it's like there's the image of, um, you know, the, the mom who just lost her job and is living out of a van. And it's like, yes, that that does happen, right? Mm-hmm. That is a significant number of unhoused people. But then you also have unhoused people who are drug addicts or have mental problems. And then there are unhoused people who are true criminals, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you, it's a range. And it's not, you can't say it's all one category of person. And yeah. it's that's why it's such a complicated issue is that we have to approach it with nuance and constantly be revising it and trying to deal with these people on human terms. And I think that that's, you know, if anything, that's the moral I take away is like, you know, whenever I hear people talking about these issues, I feel like it's so easy to just slip into a, a yeah. categorization, um, not to get yeah. too political with my story. No, that's I, I would say it. And, you know, vote. That would be the last. Right. The last <laughs> exactly. Hopefully we exactly. can get this episode out before. I don't know if that's going to happen, but hopefully you <laughs> if you listen to this episode, you voted and we've. You voted. We've yeah. solved. And the, we'll vote the, again. The, the homelessness <laughs> crisis in Los Angeles by the time this oh, God. episode airs. No. no. Well, you know, it's so interesting because it's sort of like, I, I, I think about this with education all the time, right? Like people are always complaining about the state of public education in America and like mm-hmm. how it's it's failing these this many kids and and I'm always like, yeah, but education is an ongoing process. Like there is no 
one solution, right? It, it's always going to be a struggle. That's the mm -hmm. point. So the fact that we spend a lot of money on public education and that public education fails a significant amount of kids, that is a challenge. It's not like there's ever going to be a time when we're like, well, we solved that. <laughs> kids are just learned. We did it. We taught them all and we did it well. It's like, no, it's always going to be a struggle because you're dealing with kids from all different backgrounds with all different brains and lifestyles. And that's a hugely complicated mess. It's yeah. going to be a mess and it's going to be a challenge. And it's never like, it's never going to fall into an easy, it's done, it's happy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why, you know, it's so easy to, for politicians, especially to capitalize on like the bureaucracy of education and, and to like mm -hmm. dismiss it. It's like, but it has to be that complicated. It has to be that bureaucratic yeah. or like, you know, on homelessness is it's, it's always going to be somewhat of an issue because we're dealing with millions of people and we want to take care of each other. We all want to have places to live. We all can't, you know, live in perfect houses. Like it's yeah. going to be varied and there's, I don't know, you know, it's, I guess it's like thinking of the challenge as like not something with an end completely like one end solution, yeah. but instead like an ongoing process that we have to keep engaging with and that that's not necessarily, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to take work, but it's not a problem that it's an ongoing situation. Well said. I, I've got nothing to, to add to that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. That was, yeah. I mean, that was a fantastic, fantastic story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's let's do a little bit of first first worst best last if if right. you've got time. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so have you had jobs other than acting? Or have you been a, a, a performer your whole life? Like, have you ever worked no, at like I, a writing, ice writing cream and shop? directing? No, writing and directing. All, all, I mean, now I'm teaching, so I am a te- I, I am a professor now. Um, but yeah, that I, I think that, and that's just this last semester is my first full time job in that area, and um, and I. Th- I think that is the first non-entertainment industry job I've had. Uh, welcome, again. welcome. Yeah. I mean, also you, you. I mean, you also host like how many? Two, three podcasts at this point. Two podcasts. Two yeah. podcasts. So. Yeah, but that's all entertainment, right? Because yeah. I mean, but, writing, directing, acting, voiceover. I've never had. Yeah, no, I've never had like a, a real jobby job. I mean, those those are hard, guys. Those are jobs too. Yeah, no, I, I'm, but, yeah, no, I'm just saying that you're you're yeah. you're a blessed man. You're a lucky, lucky yes. man to get to do those wonderful yeah, no, things. Definitely fan interactions. I thought maybe one first fan interact, like the first time you were recognized, and you know, or the last sure. time, the best time, the worst time. Um, and then I also wrote breakup. So. I, First breakup, worst breakup, <laughs> best breakup. Last yeah, how do you do a best breakup? I don't know. Some of them uh, were kind of painless, and you know, it was just like, yeah, it was totally mutual. That's we true. Were just both went our. We were like, there was a handshake, and we were like, all right, well yeah. done. No, nah, I feel like breakups would be pretty boring. I, I definitely have been broken up with twice over the phone, though. That's the worst. I've um, had that, but too. I guess it's better than text. I had one. But I've been, I've been with, I've been with my wife she, since like, like two thousand and six. So we sort of missed the like texting breaking up stage right. of you know dating and i'm so thankful oh my god i had an ex-girlfriend break up with me over the phone on her lunch break while she was ordering soup <laughs> she was like yeah i just i just i mean i don't think i can do this hold on can i get the tomato bisque the tomato bisque and with in the bread bowl so and i was like are you ordering fucking soup right now <laughs> how dare you cry oh that's funny um, yeah, so, so I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe fan interactions would probably be. I'd love best. that. Yeah. I'm trying to All think. right. All right. Fan interactions. Okay. So yeah. what was the, let's start with the first, the first time you can ever remember being kind of recognized or, or that uh, you had a, a fan interaction. You were like, it was the wheelchair man. He yeah, exactly. Of, he just he was a huge fan of Les Mis, and he wanted to congratulate. Me. We would have people wait for us after the at the stage door, um, you know, because we were the kids in the show. So um, we would always have fans, like you know, especially families, if they had brought their kids to come see the play. Yeah, they would love us the most. So they would always wait like for us. Sign a program. Yeah, you know? so we'd sign okay. programs. I'm sure there's signed Les Miserables programs out there. Um, and I loved that. I loved coming out. You know, back then. Um, getting recognized was just, I don't know. It felt, it, it felt like an extension of applause. You know, it was like we, we had, we had had our state curtain call and yeah. you bow and then you come out and people are actually like excited to meet you and talk to you. And, and I think it, it gets different when it's on television or in movies because right. it's so separated from the actual performance. It's like yeah. it happened years ago or, <laughs> you know, even, you know, weeks ago. And now this person's talking to you and you're never sure if like, they know that you're not the character um, yeah. that can get tricky. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would definitely it would have to have been during Les Mis and it was always a super positive experience. I remember because I did an episode of Home Improvement mm-hmm. when I was um, like 11 
And that was like the biggest show in the country. Yeah. And I was, I, uh, I was I'd... friends with uh, Taryn Noah Smith. He grew up on the same. Oh, you were. Okay. Yeah, wow. Yeah. All right. That's crazy. Yeah. So I was in a Halloween episode of that show mm-hmm. and I don't think I had realized, like I had already been acting, but I had done like Les Mis, I'd done plays and then I had done guest stars on some other TV shows, but none of them as big as home improvement. And yeah. when I was on home improvement, it was the first time everybody knew <laughs> and the amount of like in my small town, I mean, I grew up in a town of 6,000 people. So like mm-hmm. everybody in the town suddenly, like everywhere I went, everyone knew I'd just been on television <laughs> and I had my, my first stalker, <laughs> which was, um, I, I just a girl. I mean, you know, she, but, but I, my phone number was in the, like my family's name was in the phone book still. <laughs> so there was a girl who called my house, um, and asked for me. Oh, how old are you? Here? you like I'm 11? 11, 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I was stoked, man. Like some girl. So I actually met up with her and went on a date. <laughs> there was a local arcade called Scandia. Uh, and like, that was where, you know, 11 year olds went for a date, I guess, or a good time. Yeah, so I but- totally met her, her mom, like dropped her off. My mom dropped my, me off. And like, in retrospect, like I, you know, it, it just goes to show like how little, you know, about fan interactions, especially as a kid, you know, like yeah. I, I just thought like, Oh, this girl saw me on TV and she likes me. So I'll, I'll meet her. I mean, she could have been a 45 year old man at that point for all I knew, just doing a good voice. But two, I, two yeah, things, so. two things come up for me on that. One is that she's somewhere probably still telling that story that she stalked you and went on a date yeah. with you. Yeah. And then two is the idea of you two being at the arcade and you just like beating the crap out of her at Mortal Kombat or something. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, I remember we 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 played Terminator 2, the like machine gun game. Nice. <laughs> Retros are like this was a, this was a good idea to Romantic. take a girl rider. First of all, just yeah, it's like what? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. All right, so that might be first and sure, best. that'll be a good for and best. <laughs> it never got better than that. Uh, it was a pretty boring day. I don't think I ever talked to her again. But you know, I, I don't know what a good date at eleven is like anyway. Um, yeah. So worst. That's probably the easy yeah. We could do last or worst. The, the most recent one or the the worst oh, one. Most. Let's end most with the worst recent. one because worst ones are usually the the actually the best. <laughs> I actually can't. I'm trying to think what the worst fan interactions. I don't get recognized as much anymore um, mm-hmm. just because I'm old. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think the the last fan interaction would have been um, one, one of my students um, now that I'm teaching. And it's mm-hmm. just funny because, you know, they're eight they're college kids. So yeah. 20, 20 to 22. And I just assume they have no idea who I am. <laughs> um, but one of my students brought a friend to come meet me. <laughs> it's like, we're huge fans. I'm like, how, how the show started 30 years ago. What are you talking about? Uh, but you know, they, the show's still in reruns and I can't believe it. It's still, um, it's still, you know, and they were super nice and it was, it was very cute. Um, but yeah, so that would have been my, my most recent fan interaction. Um, nowadays, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't get recognized on the street anymore, which I have to say is very nice. Um, yeah, I yeah, definitely sure. never liked the lack of you know privacy or just anonymity like i really appreciate being able to like walk into a restaurant and sit down and not feel like everyone's watching you or talking about you which for a while there you know in my 20s that was like a big that was a thing yeah i know yeah i mean i i was at lunch one time in culver city and a woman approached me and interrupted lunch and she was like i'm so sorry but 
are you Derek Huff? And I was like, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Absolutely not. I, have you seen Derek Huff? He's a very attractive man. <laughs> He's in excellent physical That's condition. Funny. And I, it was like mid burrito. When I didn't have a beard, Jason Ritter and I look almost identical. And I, uh, so I went to I went to school with each the Ritters. other all the time. Do you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I we look so. Same... I mean, I don't know if this is still the case because I haven't seen him for a while. But like, we did a we did a play reading together once, and it was hysterical. We were cast as boyfriends, actually. And I was like, <laughs> we kind of. And, and I, I asked, narcissistic. Him, I was like, you? I was like, exactly. I was like, have you been? And he's like, oh, dude, I just used to just sign your autograph all the time. He's like, I would just people would recognize me as you because before you know he wasn't he didn't really work as an actor until after college. I came yeah, to NYU. Yeah. So before that, I was definitely the more famous of the two of us. And so he would just have to sign my autograph. <laughs> and then for me, like after in our late 20s, everybody would stop me and be like, I love you on Parenthood. I'm like, not me. <laughs> Thanks, close. though. Yeah. Uh, close. <laughs> uh, Carly Ritter, his sister, was uh, uh-huh. was was one of was like my first girlfriend in preschool. No, <laughs> oh, you go way back. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. Like, Okay, so then what would be the worst fan interaction? You know, I mean, I've definitely had some stalker situations. Um, And of course, interestingly, all men. (laughs) I don't think think women tend to stalk to the same degree. Um, Men really take the cake when it comes to stalking. They they take it to the next level. They take take their stalking seriously. It's a job, you know. Yeah, and I don't really know if it's worth getting into much more than like being followed and having people waiting for me outside of places and... You know, it's never gotten bad. It's never, you know, um, but that, you know, there's definitely a moment it, when it gets scary, when you're, yeah. when you, you're getting weird letters and messages. And I think, you know, early on with like m- social media, it was this sort of, you know, wild west of you know, like people sending messages through like MySpace and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, there's a way that, and like, if you read it, it would tell them that you had read the message. <laughs> um, and so like there were, you know, there was just these little loopholes where people would suddenly be like, Oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting your message writer. I know that you can't answer me, but we've received the message and be like, no, 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 not, no. Oh my God. No, I'm not secretly talking to you. You Damn know, it, MySpace go into conspiratorial um, thing. Uh, yeah, so there were a couple of scary instances uh, like that. Um, but, you know, I, I always feel I, I, I don't have it as bad as uh, women, you know, <laughs> like yeah. female actors, I think, have it the worst. Uh, oh, I can't yeah. imagine how much um, how, you know, I know like Danielle Fischl, who played Topanga, has dealt with a lot of um, letters from prison and scary men. Um, but, yeah, you know, I rather than think I'm trying to think of the just a an awkward fan experience. Cause I definitely had plenty of awkward fan experiences. Yeah. Oh, you know, Oh God, here's one. And this is, this is on me. <laughs> I have like a level of face blindness. And that's part of the reason why I hate being famous is because I can never tell if somebody recognizes me or, you know, you know, uh, or if I you're like old friends. <laughs> yes. And so I have consistently had this mistake. And the worst was, I got invited to this gathering. I think it was a Super Bowl party. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a Super Bowl party. And I, I am not a Super Bowl fan. So didn't, you know, couldn't tell you anything about the sport. But I walked <laughs> into this party and where where I walked in was right next to the TV. So I suddenly walk in, I'm standing in front of 40, 50 people. <laughs> and I, you know, I know, like, I think I know like maybe 10 people at this gathering, but right. I'm not sure. And I walk in and all these people are suddenly staring at me. And this woman next to me goes, Oh, hey. And I'm like, 
hi. And she's like, and, and we're suddenly like hugging and she's like, Oh my God, it's so good to see you. And I just play along. Yeah. Like, yeah, so-and-so it's been a while. You know, and I just keep going. And then she finally in front of everybody is like, well, we don't actually know each other. I don't know you. I just recognize you from television. I was like, great. I'm Wonderful. just going to leave now. I'm just going to hang out by the. I just, I just gone along as much as I could. Five minutes of, you know, oh, how's you? And the last time I saw you was, you know what? I'm trying to. Oh, so that, that's like by far the worst for me. It's just sticking my own foot in my mouth. Yeah. But it's, uh, acting, you know what I mean? That was a, yeah. You just put on a performance for that whole Super Bowl party. <laughs> there you go. That was probably the best acting I've done in my entire life. <laughs> well, uh, Ryder, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and for sharing your stories. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Hashtag Storytime. Just want to give another big thanks to Ryder Strong for being on today's episode. If you haven't listened to his podcast, Pod Meets World, go check it out. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode featuring Matt Frederick from one of my favorite podcasts, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Imagine Nick Cannon's drumline without the style. Okay. And that was us. Does that make sense? Like zero style. Totally. Just a bunch of kids in Forsyth County, just upright in our outfits just oh so serious and like crab stepping if you're enjoying the podcast if it made you chuckle or or think about life leave us a review it helps us out a lot and i literally read every single one of them also if you have a tasty tale that you want to share give us a call at the storytime hotline 323-741-1873 and maybe we'll feature your story on an upcoming listener episode finally make sure to follow us on instagram tiktok and youtube you can find the links in the description Hashtag Storytime is produced by iHeartRadio and Curativity Productions, hosted by Will McFadden. Sound designed by Tony Maddox, written by Will McFadden and Jason Shapiro. Produced by Jason Shapiro, Daniela Mora, and Jordan Elijah Michael. Theme song by Scott Simons. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.